Welcome once again to Advance, an NCEES podcast series. I'm your host, Davey McDowell, Chief Operating Officer at NCEES, and I'm really excited to get the chance today to talk to Eric Lundborg, a program engineer with Engineers Without Borders USA. Eric is responsible for overseeing the work of project teams in East and West Africa and has been helping chapters navigate remote work for the last two years. He also maintains and analyzes the data generated from EWB USA's project activities and promotes the use of the data to improve active projects. Prior to working for EWB USA, Eric held various positions in consulting engineering firms working primarily in geotechnical design and environmental remediation. He received his bachelor's from Kansas State University, was a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone, and is a registered professional civil engineer in Colorado. Thanks for joining us today, Eric. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Obviously, the the topic of um, talking to somebody or an engineer with Engineers Without Borders is a is an interesting one because NCWS has been a partner with EWB in the past. Can you um, can you give us a a hint as to to why uh, and how you became more involved with Engineers Without Borders? I got involved with Engineers with board with Engineers Without Borders um, as a volunteer. Uh, I. I worked with uh, MWH in the beginning of my career and uh, Engineers Without Borders had a chapter in Denver. Um, I worked with them to kind of help do a little bit of work in Ecuador early on. I was mostly learning and helping to do some fundraising. Um, I I realized that I needed a lot more expertise to really be involved and helpful on those projects and work throughout my career to get some experience in international development and and hone my construction oversight engineering skills so that I could be a value to the organization and help communities around the world. So that's that's really how I got involved. Uh, I've been working as staff for over five years now in our Denver office. So, you, so your involvement started in, in when you were a professional, not necessarily as a student, correct? When I was in school, we there wasn't a chapter at Kansas State University at that time, uh, so I, I really, you know, wanted something like that in my undergraduate experience, and and found it through some volunteer opportunities, but really didn't get involved in engineers without borders until I was a professional. So, as you were getting involved with engineers without borders, had you ever say you know a young professional starting to get involved with them had you ever done um, any work overseas like this or you were just like this sounds interesting I want to give back to the community I want to make an impact I'm going to do this I had the opportunity in high school I got invited to a couple leadership uh, camps and one of them had kind of an international focus and and we got the opportunity to to travel um, you know is a, a leadership development conference in Asia and we got the opportunity to travel to India and a couple other countries um, you know and I it was interesting on those trips to be able to, to understand kind of the context of of water and water infrastructure around the world and I think it, it was a really interesting uh, problem to me and um, had the opportunity 
uh, in college to work with a, a nonprofit in Bangladesh, uh, working on uh, arsenic mitigation in some shallow groundwater wells. So, yeah, before that, before going to EWB, definitely had some opportunities. I also was a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone in West Africa, um, working as a, a chemistry and math teacher at the secondary kind of high school level there, which was another uh, opportunity to just kind of understand the context of what water supply looks like in different places in the world. So definitely a good, valuable experience to, to, to start working here. Yeah. I, I have seen some articles in past years uh, talking about, you know, the grand challenges of engineering that are, you know, kind of the future and, and obviously clean water is, is one of those, you know, making sure clean clean water and access to water. Uh, and, and so I'm assuming from, from what you just said that the projects that you worked on early on and still today, um, a lot have to do with clean water or access to water? I'd say that that's, you know, kind of my focus as, you know, a civil environmental engineer. I was definitely really interested in water, water treatment, wells, and, um, you know, hydrogeology. <laughs> uh, definitely not a hydrogeologist, but super interested in the topic. So EWB does about, you know, over 60% of their work in just clean water access. Um, but, you know, be, you know, it's one of the great opportunities working here. I get to, you know, dabble in kind of areas that are kind of outside of my or technical expertise and get a really work with some passionate engineers in the electrical and solar areas, structural engineers working on bridges and buildings and sanitation, um, you know, kind of latrines. And, you know, we'll pretty much do any type of engineering uh, that people need, but usually around those core um, basic needs that people have. So um, water, sanitation, education, power. So EWB, you know, has historically worked in, in, in many countries. We've kind of over the last few years kind of honed in our work to focus where kind of we can have better support systems on the ground to support um, teams as they go through their engineering projects. Um, but we still work in, in 38 countries around the world. Um, right now, I work with um, over 80 different teams around the country on projects in any, uh, you know, any stage of a project from, you know, initial design and, um, you know, data collection to kind of define the problem all the way through kind of monitoring projects that are constructed and making sure they're still working. So, yeah, I, I'd, it'd be an interesting question. I haven't actually put a number to it, but my guess would be probably over 200 projects with EWB. So you mentioned something kind of in that you said the word teams, you know, 80 different teams managing pro you're kind of managing these projects. So tell me about a team. What's a team? So we, we have an amazing group of volunteers around the country. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, we say we have 14,000 volunteers um, and, we, you know, we have over 6,000 volunteers that are actively um, working, you know, dedicated on, on project teams on the design side. And then they, there's a lot of volunteers that work in the operational and support, you know, fundraising for the projects as well. So, you know, these are, we have 250 chapters across the country. Uh, mixture of university chapters so you know pretty much uh, you know if, if a school has an engineering program we'd be interested in you know having a chapter there um, and then most major cities will have a professional chapter kind of groups of professionals that get together and and run their projects as well and so that's kind of the volunteer side of the project also there's the community side of the project so all of our projects 
you know, volunteers get partnered up with a local um, nonprofit or one of our, you know, groups of staff in different countries around the world um, and a local community. So it's a really, you know, kind of three-pronged team of, of people dedicated to kind of addressing these problems. Yeah, so you, so you mentioned, uh, obviously, a few times projects. And so I'm, I'm interested to know, do you have any any projects, any or more than one, any project or projects that really stand out in your mind? One that might be from a, a you know from a humanitarian side of things, or or possibly one that might deal with just complexities uh, from the engineering side of things. Um, do you have any of those that just kind of stand out to you? I think from the humanitarian side, there's there's always you know those interesting ones that that you know you get really connected to the community and and you know kind of really get to understand the the context of the community and the problem they're facing. Um, you know, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone, it happened that you know one of the fellow Peace Corps volunteers was in a, a nearby town in Matrujong, um, and it, it's kind of funny. It's going full circle. I, you know, I was at the school where that the water project they, they actually did a, a combination of a lot of different technologies there they did solar for you know uh, laptops and com- uh, computers just uh, to help kind of the the students study and the teachers prepare um, they did water access and also sanitation access at that school and I, you know working the education side while i was there got a chance to just really understand the teachers and what they were going through and what it was like to try to teach in a school that didn't have power and didn't have you know access to clean water and what that meant for the students coming to school each day um so you know getting to see that project from that side and then again you know as staff getting to work with that team from lehigh valley um on their designs as they continue to work with that community over the last five years since i've been here you know that one to me just really is impactful and they did some good job of just looking at there's a standardized test that students in Sierra Leone take each year um, as they you know prepare to potentially go to university so they have a really good you know metric for the success of a student Uh, they measured the test scores before and after those that you know the five years that they had worked in the community and uh, it, it was just incredible to see the jump in test scores as that water and power was provided to that school and the, the growth and also the number of students that wanted to attend that school because because of the infrastructure facilities they had. So uh, that one to me just really, you know, speaks to, you know, kind of this, the impact that you have when you when you do this engineering work. Um, so that, that one was a really big one for me. You mentioned it, I mentioned it, kind of that humanitarianism uh, kind of concept. Something... <laughs> Being a Peace Corps volunteer, uh, the teaching, the the involvement, volunteering with EWB early on in your professional, something had to drive that to you. Where, where did where did that kind of I don't know desire come from and, and passion come from to 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 give back basically so freely to to the entire world. I think it's just kind of, you know, I had, you know, from the, from the humanitarian side, I think I just had, you know, some really passionate people that I was around growing up in high school. Um, my wife was actually one of those people. And one of the reasons why I really fell in love with her is she's a social worker and, you know, just, you know, we would, 
do a lot of things just getting out and talking to people in the community, um, you know, that are struggling. And, and I think being around her and seeing the passion she had for people was really a driver, just understanding, you know, where we fit in the world and, and wanting to, you know, use the time that we have on earth to kind of make the world a better place for, for the people around us. You mentioned something then kind of about high school. So, so when did you decide, Oh, I am going to be an engineer or was that just, I, a relative family member was an engineer and so you were just kind of destined to be one or did or did you just happen to be really good in math and science and go well I'm going to be an engineer what what got you to be an engineer to start with I think I always loved tinkering I always loved kind of problem solving uh loved math and science had, had a, a really good teacher who let me skip ahead in math um he basically gave me the book and said, um, whenever you feel like, you know, that this chapter come and I'll give you the test. And I think just, uh, that, that gave me a lot of confidence in, in math and science. Um, and, you know, just the willingness to kind of figure it out on my own, uh, you know, and, and someone cheering you on. I had, uh, you know, uh, an aunt and an uncle, they were ar- architectural engineers. And, and I had, a, an uncle who was a, a civil transportation engineer. Uh, and I think just being able to see kind of what they got to do on a daily basis, you know, work through construction, kind of, you know, solve problems and do math as a job. I, you know, definitely was, was big and kind of, Oh, this can be a career and you can match it up with your passion to kind of want to make the world a better place. Uh, and, uh, that, you know, had a mentor sit down and just say, well, you know, what, what could that be? And we looked at civil engineering and I was like, yep, that's it. So, um, you know, I got lucky figuring it out early and I think, you know, definitely, you know, it's great to have that support around me as I was growing up. Oh, absolutely. All right. So kind of take me a little bit through. So you decide to civil engineering, go to Kansas state, uh, graduate from Kansas state with a civil engineering degree. What's next for what, what, what was next for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I did that internship while I had a great professor. I said, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do some work in water internationally. And he said, you know, and I said, my wife's going to be in Bangladesh this summer, you know, doing kind of social work. What what could I do? And he said, he looked at me kind of funny. He's like, well, you know, that's where I grew up. My brother's there. Um, and so he connected me with this amazing internship working with the Bangladesh Rural Advancement Committee. Um, got a chance to work at, our, you know, on that arsenic mitigation. And I think what I really realized is I didn't have the construction expertise. I didn't have the engineering expertise, the ability to design, you know, pipeline hydraulics and I needed experience. And so I came out of that realizing I needed to get in the field, working as an engineer, doing design work, you know, really find a a good team of mentors to teach me how to be a good engineer. Uh, And so, you know, I went, worked in industry for a while with the goal that I'd come back to this humanitarian engineering at some point and, you know, kind of reconnect with that passion. Uh, had a lot of really good engineering mentors as I was going through my years. And, you know, uh, five years into that experience, took my PE. Uh, and that's when I applied for the Peace Corps to kind of get that international development experience. Once I kind of ha- felt like I, I knew what I was talking about a bit. <laughs> Obviously, you always, the more you learn, the more you know you don't know. So it was good to have that. Yeah. So, so you mentioned a couple of things that, I, you know, that, that mentorship, which I think is very important in that route to becoming a professional engineer. 
Um, so a couple of things uh, along that pro professional engineering uh, licensure and, and you becoming a, a PE. Um, you know, we are NCWS and it is our podcast. And so we are interested in engineering and surveying licensure, right? So, um, yeah. so, so first, can you tell a little bit about, um, you know, not, not necessarily the process for you becoming licensed, but what you kind of, that, those, that time leading up, mentorship leading up to, to taking the exams and, and, and becoming licensed and what it's kind of meant to you afterwards. Um, having your PE license. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was lucky in that, you know, Kansas State really pushed, you know, licensure, especially for the civils as, as you know, a great way to exhibit the skill that you have and to really recognize all the hard work you're putting in. And I think for me, I see that the, the see, I see my license, even though I don't necessarily get to stamp things with it as, as something that I protect and, and hold sacred and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my duty to, you know, maintain the engineering profession and, and a high quality of work. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I, you know, they, they walked us through pretty well, you know, the, the steps we'd need to take to get licensed. And, and I, you know, marked those on the board and, and accomplished them, you know, almost like a checklist. Um, so, you know, I had, you know, I got to work with a team of, you know, it was a small shop I worked at. Uh, you had, you know, three professional engineers and a professional geologist. And I think they, they really uh, instilled in me the value of what it means to stamp a document and what it means to kind of put in the due diligence to make sure that you, you're, um, you know, preparing something that's going to protect the community when it gets built. That's great. So the idea of Engineers Without Borders really talks about, we, t we tend to think of that as being, you know, some type of project, some other place some other, you're not, not internal to the United States. Does Engineers Without Borders have projects even internal to the United States or are all of them moving, um, you know, to a, to a, a different country? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, since 2015, um, EWB, Engineers Without Borders, formed a partnership with um, American Society of Civil Engineers, American Water Works Association, uh, Nesby and SHIP as well. Um, and that partnership is called the Community Engineering Corps. And that's the program that, that we operate in the U.S. Um, so, you know, you know, I think the you know, ASE puts out a report on the engineering infrastructure in the U.S., and I think th their last score was a C minus. And you know, when we look at water equity across communities, there there's communities that you know that don't have the same level of access to water. You know, don't have you know the indoor plumbing, don't have you know a, a clean uh, and and safe uh, access to. Um, to water the same across the board in the U.S. And so, you know, we we do work in the U.S. Um, it's it's a growing area, and I think our volunteers are are passionate to get out working with local community partners, finding projects in their backyard that they can work on and take the the skills that they've they've learned in engineering and and help out their communities, you know, where they are. I think that's absolutely wonderful. A couple of things that we've talked about and you've, you've mentioned, and, and it's that idea of, of being able to, to kind of take that knowledge that you should have learned in school or maybe even as a young professional and really put it to work uh, hands-on. I think that's an incredible uh, skill set that the young engineers of the, of the world need to, to have. So how did students 
how do young professionals get involved with EWB? I guess, you know, if you're at a school that's got a chapter, that's a lead in. But what if you're not? So if we have any students that are listening or any young professionals and when we're trying to and you're thinking to yourself, all right, let's let's try to recruit some more volunteers in. How would how would they become more involved with EWB? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So um, we have um, on our website, you can register as a volunteer. One of the things we have up there is kind of maps of where all the projects are in the world. So you can kind of um, find where your interest or technical interest might be. Um, and then I always say, you know, connecting to a chapter, you know, whether it's at your school, whether it's the local professional chapter, um, you know, even if you're, you're not a, an engineer, you know, you know, if you think about a consulting firm, you know, your consulting firm is not going to be made up of just engineers. You have, you know, lawyers and accountants and, you know, kind of document writers, drafters, you know, uh, all across the board, different people involved in, in our teams are the same way. Uh, there's no kind of age limit. You know, a lot of uh, our volunteers are, you know, retirees who, you know, just kind of have this passion for engineering, want to mentor a student, you know, kind of advance engineering. A, a lot of professionals just, you know, maybe your day day job is, is uh, you know, designing something, um, you're drafting and, and you want to, you know, just running calculations and you want to have that kind of human connection with the work you're doing again. So uh, definitely reaching out, finding a local chapter, and just you know, kind of raising your hand is the best way to, to get involved. Thank you again to Eric for joining us on the podcast today, and thank you for all of the humanitarian efforts you and EWB USA do to make this world a better place. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. We hope you found this episode enlightening. If you can, please take a minute to leave us a review. This simple action can help others, like yourself, find and share this podcast.